Good morning, Cornerstone. Uh, my name is Michael Risk, if I haven't met you yet. A warm welcome to any visitors that we have joining us today. Um, so I'm part of the ministry staff here at Cornerstone. And today we are starting a sermon series looking at the prologue of John. And this morning we're just going to look at the first two verses of John chapter 1. Uh, we'll be doing a sermon series uh, so in the prologue of John and we'll be looking at all 18 verses and we'll be covering it over seven sermons. But yes, today just looking at those first two verses. And as we look at these first two verses together, please open up and please pray with me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we pray, Lord, that as we come to your word this morning, uh, we pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. Uh, we pray that you would continue to mold us and shape us through your word and by your spirit. Our Holy Spirit, we pray that through this time together, you would teach us more of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, who is Jesus? Uh, depending on who you ask, you will get a variety of answers. From people at one end of the spectrum saying that Jesus is God. He's saviour. He is king. All the way to the under, other end of the spectrum where people will say that Jesus, well, he's just as real as sky fairies. The trilemma of who Jesus is is most associated with C.S. Lewis. That Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. That if someone were to make the claim to be God, our first assumption should be that that person is not of sound mind. That he is a lunatic. Lewis said this, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man, Jesus, was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. However, if this man is of sound mind, it is suggested that he must be a liar. Uh, the Christian message is built on who Jesus is and what he has done. We hold this message to be absolute truth. No room for error. The Apostle Paul said when he spoke of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians, said that the if the resurrection is not true, then we as Christians are misrepresenting God. Our faith is futile, and we are the ones who are most to be pitied. Jesus preached in the Gospel of John concerning the resurrection and said, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. If Jesus was a liar, our faith is futile, and above all, we are most to be pitied. But if Jesus is not a lunatic, if he is not a liar, then he must be Lord. He must be God. 
It is in the four Gospels, friends, that we meet the Lord Jesus. In each of these four Gospels, we are given a different portrait of who Jesus is. It is one event, but told from four different sources. Think for a second. As you sit in your chair right now, each of you are hearing this sermon. However, if you were to ask a child, ask a mum with young kids, ask a recent convert, or ask one of our elders, what was this sermon on this morning and what they understood, you may receive four different answers. Four different answers of the same event. One event, but four different sources speaking of what they thought was the most important. Four different people regurgitating what struck them, what challenged them, and what comforted them from God's Word. The four Gospels are a single event of Jesus' life and ministry told by four different authors. The Gospel of Matthew wants us to know that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. The Gospel of Mark portrays Jesus as the suffering Son of God. Luke's Gospel wants us to know that Jesus is the Savior of all people. That this Gospel is not just for Jews, but for every nation, every tribe. What about the Gospel of John? John wants us to know that Jesus is the divine Son who reveals the Father. Jesus is the divine Son who reveals the Father. And John does this right away in his prologue, doesn't he? It is in the prologue that we are introduced to many themes that will be teased out in the rest of the Gospel. And so, in many ways, the prologue of John is like a trailer to a movie. In this trailer, we are introduced to the main character, told a bit about him, what's going to happen to him. But if we want to know more about Jesus, then we have to watch the rest of the movie. We need to read the rest of the prologue, read the rest of the gospel, I mean. Today we're looking just at the first two verses of John's prologue. And today we are looking at Jesus, the Word, our God. Let me reread just verse 1 and 2 for us. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, and this is God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In these first two verses, John introduces us first to the Word. Second, he tells us that the Word is God. And then third, that the Word is somehow distinct from God because the Word was with God. Let's learn together about who Jesus is from John's opening words. Look with me as John starts. He says, in the beginning. Uh, where else did we meet those words in the beginning? Well, we met them in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, didn't we? Which says, in the beginning, God. 
Genesis tells us that in the beginning, before the world was created, before the universe was made, in the beginning was God. Yet John says, in the beginning was the Word. He doesn't say God. He doesn't say Jesus. He says the Word. Now, why does John introduce us to our protagonist, introduce us to Jesus as the Word? What is John trying to tell us at this point? For it is only here in the prologue of John, in these 18 verses, that John calls Jesus the Word. According to commentators, the title, The Word, or in Greek, Logos, had so much depth and so much meaning. For Greeks, Logos was reason, and reason is what governed the world. Reason was the means in which the cosmos worked and functioned. In the Old Testament, God's Word is the dynamic force of His will in creating the world, in revealing Himself, and in saving His people. When God speaks, things happen. God's Word made things happen. It is suggested that John brings together the richness of this title from both a Greek background and a Jewish background and says this word, Jesus, is the one who rules and governs, who teaches and makes people wise. And it is this Jesus, the Word, who created the world. It is through Jesus the world continues to function. It is through Jesus that God is made known. It is through Jesus that God's people are saved. It is through Jesus that God's people are given new life. And it is through Jesus that we are able to live for God. Jesus, the Word, is the ultimate revelation of God, of who He is and what He is doing. Jesus makes known to us who God is. Our friends, you and I are not Sherlock Holmes. We cannot see a person and make deductions about that person and then pretend that we know them, their history, and from a single observation ask, Afghanistan or Iraq? Now you get to know someone by interacting with them, learning about them, asking questions, hearing their answers. If you want to know someone, it's best to go straight to them, isn't it? But if this isn't an option, then going to someone who knows about the person is a good second option. There are many Christian figures, I imagine many of whom we would like to meet. But a great many of them have gone home to the Lord. But we would still like to know things about them. And we can know about them. How? through reading the works of others who have met them, who have studied them. We can learn about their lives through their biography. And that's what the Gospels are, aren't they? They are biographies of the Lord Jesus. In the case of John, he gives an eyewitness testimony of Jesus' ministry. He gives an account of what Jesus did during those three years. In John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31, John says this, 
Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John recorded the life of Jesus so that we may believe in Jesus, and by believing in him, have eternal life. John had seen, he had known Jesus. He is the disciple whom Jesus loved. His account is a trustworthy account. So as we read the Gospel of John, we are getting insight into who Jesus is. And what does Jesus tell us in the Gospel of John? Well, he's telling us about God, who God is and what he is doing. And Jesus gives us a testimony that is firm, that is resolute. Why? Because he knows God. He has seen God. He was with God in the beginning. Have a look at our passage again. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus, the Word, knows God because since the beginning he has been with God and he is God. Now, in the Greek, John uses an interesting word to communicate with. Uh, in first-year Greek, during my time at college, we learned that the preposition with is most commonly rendered from the Greek word meta. But John doesn't use this word. He uses the Greek word pros, which literally means to or towards. Literally, our text says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was towards God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning towards God. John is suggesting that Jesus is continually coming towards God. Why is John trying to say that Jesus, the Word, is continually coming towards God? It suggested that this word pros is expressing close, intimate unity, that the Word and God are an active relationship. So when we read the Bible, when we read that God is acting, this is never the Father working in isolation, that the Father is somehow at work, and then the Son and the Spirit are just standing there idly, twiddling their thumbs. No, the Father is always acting with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. When the triune God saves humanity in the Old Testament, it is never God the Father saving in isolation. No, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working together. When Jesus came and dwelt among us, it was a decision made in active unity by the triune God. There is unity in the triune God. And we see this unity between the Father and the Son. And in the Gospel of John, we see this, don't we? In John 5, 17, Jesus says that the Father is always at work, and I too am working. In response to this comment, they tried to kill Jesus because, verse 18, he was making himself equal with the Father. Again, John 8, 29 says, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And John 10, 28 to 30, 
I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And then John 14, 9-10, Jesus says, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Uh, John tells us, friends, in verse 1, that the Word was God, that Jesus is God. And on the lips of Jesus, we hear this testimony also. Jesus and the Father are one. Our friends, do you see this? That Jesus reveals the Father. Do you see that Jesus and the Father are one? But look what also John says. He says they are one, but at the same time, they are distinct. The Word was God, but the Word was also with God. The Word was God, but the Word was also with God. John is telling us that the Word, God the Son, is distinct from both God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. A heresy in the early church suggested that God appeared in three forms. That sometimes He is God the Father, sometimes He's God the Son, and sometimes He's God the Holy Spirit. Just like water can sometimes appear to us as a liquid, a solid, or a gas. Uh, this heresy is sometimes referred to as modalism, or by some as Sabellianism. Uh, this teaching was exposed as a heresy, for God does not appear in three forms. In John's Gospel, Jesus never says that when he leaves, he's going to turn back into the Father, and then after some time, he is going to turn into the Holy Spirit. Now, what does Jesus say? He says that he is going to his Father, and that when he leaves, he will then send to us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will then teach us and of what has been taught by Jesus and made known to us. In the church, how do we teach about the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? We teach and speak of the Trinity. One God, three persons. In the Trinity, there is distinctness between the three persons, but there is also unity. The unity lies, that, lies in that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have the same essence. Uh, what do I mean by this? I suggest that each person of the Trinity is divine, that they are all God. None of the three persons are subordinate to the other. The Son and the Spirit are not demigods or lesser gods, but are the same as the Father. They share the same essence. From the beginning, they have existed together, one God, but as three persons. And then so being three persons, there is then also distinction, though, between the three of them. And this distinction lies in their functions. Each of them have different functions attributed to them. 
For example, the function of creation mainly lies with the Father. The function of redemption is predominantly lies with the Son. And the function of sanctification lies mostly with the Holy Spirit. However, even though a particular work may be associated to a person, it never happens in isolation from the others. For example, in the work of redemption, all three are still at work, for it is the Father who elects, adopts, and justifies the new believer. It is the Son who intercedes and reconciles us by His blood. He has become our mediator. It is in the Spirit who applies this saving work through illuminating God's Word to us, sanctifying us, and making us more like Christ. We believe that there is one God, but three persons, distinct in their roles, but at the same time, co-eternal, co-equal. The Father is not greater than the Son, nor the Holy Spirit, and vice versa. Friends, do you know that? Do you believe that? That there is one God, three persons, distinct in their roles, but at the same time, sharing the same essence, altogether God. Our passage says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. From the beginning of time, friends, before the world was formed, before God put the plans of redemption in action, before there was anything created, there was the Word. There was Jesus. Jesus is God, but He is also a distinct person of the Trinity. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is our God. We began today with a question. Who is Jesus? And in the spectrum of answers, that Jesus is God, Almighty, that He is Saviour, that He is Redeemer, that He is King, that He is Lord, to the other end of the spectrum, that He is just as real as sky fairies. If I were to ask you, if I were to ask you, where in the spectrum would you answer? It is my prayer that today, that it has been made known to you, that you have been reminded that Jesus is God. And if you believe this to be true, that Jesus is the Word, that Jesus is God, then let me ask you, are you living each and every day as Jesus, as your God? Is Jesus the focus of your worship? Is He the focus of your praise? Is He the one that rules and guides your life? Is He the one whom your loyalty is given? Friends, as we leave church today, will we leave and go out into the world professing with our words and our actions that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God. Society will tell us that our religion must be no more than a personal experience. It is something to be done privately and not something to be communicated or shared with the rest of society. 
And there may be some in this room that may do exactly that. That as you go out into the world, you will leave your faith at the front door. Friends, our faith should never be a private exercise. It should never be left at the front door. Our faith must always be communicated and shared. Our passage has reminded us that Jesus is God, and we must live each day making that known. Our passage today should comfort us to be bold, that we should go out declaring who we believe because we don't believe in a lunatic or a liar. We believe in the Lord Jesus, the creator of the universe, our redeemer and our savior. Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who will kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So friends, live today, live tomorrow, live every day confessing by your actions and by your words that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the one who reveals the Father. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, our God, our Creator, and our Redeemer, Lord Jesus, we pray, help us, your church, to know you more intimately. Help us, we pray, to live our lives professing that you are our God. We pray that you would help us to do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray all this in your name. Amen.